How thankful we are that God has made himself known. Indeed, he has written a book. Let's open our Bibles and hear from the Lord. We're turning to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, excuse me, 61. And we'll hear the first few verses of that chapter as we speak of the deliverance of our Lord from sin's dominion. As you're turning to Isaiah 61, let me welcome those who might be watching the live stream, perhaps the Granger family with their illness, Stu, others. Uh, We uh, send you our love and we trust that God's word would bless you. And we invite everyone to come and join us for worship as you're able here at Clifton Park Community Church. Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 61 fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Amen. May God bless the hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Isaiah was long ago. Sometimes I feel my childhood was long ago. And uh, it's the season of exchanging letters and cards. And I remember writing a Christmas card to my grandparents who lived in Scotland. I never knew uh, my grandmother, uh, Teresa, who lived in Scotland. I did meet my grandfather. But as a kid, I'd write the card that my parents had and we put a stamp on it. It was amazing for I think it was only 15 cents in the middle of the 60s, to send a letter from Wisconsin all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to northern Britain to Scotland. And they would have it, and their card would come to me. It's amazing how things could travel so far, especially at such a reasonable cost. We know in these current days, there are a lot of things that are traveling through the mail, a lot of things that are being delivered, talking about deliverance. I was thinking of the delivery, and I saw an interview with the postmaster's representative and how the postal service will be handling a lot of packages. Apparently between 850 and 950 packages, oh, I'm sorry, 850 million and 950 million Packages, not the little stuff, packages will be delivered by the U.S. Postal Service during the holidays. The total number, when you include cards, letters, and packages to be processed and delivered, is more than 12 billion. That, that sounds really big. Who can even count all those things? That's 20 to 28 million packages per day. I figured it out, given the population of Saratoga County, it would be like each of us in Saratoga County, it's a big county, each of us getting 106 packages a day uh, if they all came here. It's amazing 
about what is being delivered from one place to the other. What we're looking at in our sermon series when we say Christ came to deliver, it's not simply what we get, but what he brings us into. Today, when we're speaking of Christ delivering us from sin's dominion into liberty, he is taking us somewhere. It's one thing to open your front door and see if the package is here and bring it into your home and add it to your stuff. But what we're trying to show you is what Christ does for you and with you and in you and through you as a believer. We are taken, we are delivered, we are changed. And as we'll see today, we are set free. Liberty and freedom is our focus today. This passage from Isaiah was actually quoted by Jesus, and it's recorded that he did so in Luke chapter 4. We covered that many weeks ago. Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads this passage from Isaiah, and then he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. He acknowledged that he was the servant of the Lord who is speaking in Isaiah 61. The speaker is the messianic servant. Remember how it begins. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed one, literally the Christ. That's Jesus. Jesus saw Isaiah 61 as fulfilled in his arrival, his ministry, and his work in the world. And we do well to remember that, especially as we celebrate his incarnation. And the key phrase which we'll be looking at today comes from verse 1. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are opening of the prison to those who are bound. Freedom, emancipation, liberty in Jesus. Jesus came to deliver us, to bring us from in bondage into freedom. I'm not sure that most Christians think about that enough. We, we look a lot at the debt paid and our pardon and forgiveness and there's no hell destination for us. But sometimes we neglect the broad and free citizenship in the kingdom of heaven that believers enjoy. The changes he has wrought. We are no longer captive to the many things that once held us captive. We've been set free. In what ways? Let's take a look. Our first heading of the two this morning is liberty for the captives. And then we'll talk about uh, enjoying that Christian liberty more generally. What is it we're delivered from? And then we'll talk about what we're given and delight in positively. First, what are we delivered from? It says here, captives and prison doors. In what way? I... I haven't been incarcerated. I've visited jails. I've visited prisons and done ministry there many times. What is the spiritual application here? Well, we're prisoners in at least three ways. First, Christ sets us free from the power of the devil. 
Christ sets us free from the power of the devil who's at work in this broken world. He really caused a problem in the garden when he spoke and tempted Adam and Eve and twisted the words of God. And he's been doing that ever since. In Ephesians 2.2, the devil is called the prince of the power of the air, comma, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's not just powerful in worldly things. But Paul told the Ephesians and us, he is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He cracks the whip as a spiritual slave master. Because men and women in their fallen estate can't always say no to sins and temptation. And the devil knows that. It's hard and frustrating for sinners. We can't defeat this power. We can't escape our own sin and its bondage and the role of the devil on our own. That's why it's good news when Jesus showed up and people could tell he was different and people wondered, could he really be the Messiah? So what else did Jesus do besides speak and proclaim liberty to the captives? What else did he do? He did signs and wonders. He took paralytics and caused them to walk. He took someone possessed by a demon and set them free. Opened their eyes and changed their hearts. And people could see that the proclamation of Jesus was real and powerful. When he took someone named Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting Christians. I'm going to arrest him. I'm on my way to Damascus. Going to get some Christians there and really be hard on them. The Lord appears to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road. A blinding light humbles Saul, reveals himself as Jesus, whom you are persecuting, and then says, uh, hey, I'm going to put you to work for me now. I'm going to set you free from your bondage and your delusions. I'm going to help you see who I really am and then serve me and serve others in my name. Part of his commissioning Reported in Acts 26, verse 18, was this. Jesus said to Paul, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's very calling was to help proclaim liberty to those held by the power of Satan. My friends, this good news of Christmas isn't just a hallmark greeting and a warm fuzzy. We are talking about the supernatural power of God to take someone, perhaps one of your loved ones, who is embroiled in sin and almost possessed, you don't know what's gotten into them, God can set them free. As a young believer, I started listening to a radio show my mom always had on and I didn't really pay attention. Uh, The City Garden Mission and and Tales of Deliverance and all these things that God had done in changing lives dramatically. You can still read about those things, testimonies. I commend you to the work of the Gideons who place scriptures in all sorts of places And in their monthly magazine, they often have a report. Someone sitting in a hotel room, open the Bible, and instead of committing suicide, they are delivered. 
The gospel is the power of our salvation so that we can get out from the clutches of the devil, the one who lies, the one who twists the truth, who says we're no good and doesn't want us to hear that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The gospel works to free us from the power of the devil. But there's more. There's more. We're delivered from sin's dominion where the devil uses it. We're also delivered from sin's dominion and the curse of the law. Our relationship to the law has changed. And it would take a whole sermon, perhaps a whole series of sermons, to explain the relationship of law and gospel. So what I say here isn't the whole picture, but this is part of it. And I'll encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans 8. We're going to read a few verses from Romans 8. Because it tells us explicitly, if you have been delivered by Christ, your relationship with the law has changed. Under the old covenant, God gave his law so that we would know our sin. And we would know what righteousness looks like, even though we all fall short of the law of God. But as believers alive in Christ, this is what God's word tells us. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pause. Where would that condemnation come from? Well, it would come upon lawbreakers for our sin and our guilt. How do I know I'm guilty? Uh, I didn't have just one God. I didn't give thanks to God. I didn't honor his name. I didn't honor my parents. I did a little coveting. I did a little this. I did a God's law condemns us. So when you read Romans 8 verse 1, we're being told that we're delivered from the curse and condemnation of the law. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2. For... The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Jesus, Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now it's it's not saying that the law is bad. The law had a particular purpose. And by works of the law could no man be justified. The Jews could not save themselves by trying to keep the law perfectly. It just couldn't be done. In the Old Testament, they were still to be saved by faith, not by works. The law has a purpose. But the law reminds us of our sin and guilt. And in Christ, a Christian is pronounced not guilty. We're freed from the curse of the law. The law will still expose and condemn sin in us. You step off the beaten path and the law will convict you. But then you have the banner of Christ over you saying, this one is forgiven. Christ shed his blood for this one. All his sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven in Christ. We're delivered from the curse of the law. We should say also what Galatians says. Romans and Galatians are are important books on all these matters we're talking about today. Galatians 3.13 says it very clearly. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Galatians 3.13. And it says explicitly, the curse of the law. The condemnation of the law. Don't, don't, lie to me now if you're driving down the highway and you see a speed trap in the median 
you lift your foot off the gas, right? Even if you think you're going to speed them, it's just that reaction. Someone's monitoring me. There's a representative of the highway laws and statutes who's looking at me, and he may have his radar pointed at me, and it has an immediate effect on us. That's a good thing. The law does its job. But in Christ, the condemnation is gone. For our law breaking, we are forgiven. It's amazing grace at work. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Galatians 3 further says this, verses 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. This is the language of imprisonment. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Faith in Christ. This is good news. This is substantial truth that has an impact on our lives, our deliverance. Saved by grace. We're spiritually alive and free if we are in union with Christ. If we're believing in him and he's claimed us, we're no longer under the curse of the law. We're forgiven. All your sins, past, present, and future. It's amazing good news. And if someone is truly converted and their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, all these things that we could say, That will never be undone. The law will never say, oh, he forgot back in 1997. Some of you don't remember 1990. He forgot to do this. And so eh, you're not getting into heaven. No, the law and all of its charges against us are paid. So we're delivered. And there are many scriptures that say Christ did this for us. And there's another way in which we're delivered. And this is really... Perhaps the the area I want to emphasize most in the sermon, this third point, Christ sets us free from sin's dominion. I already got a question mark on social media about this one. I'm going to preach on this. Oh, really? Christians are freed from sin's dominion? he He should have known if he knows me. I'm not switching to some kind of health and wealth gospel. I'm not going in the direction of Christian perfectionism in this world, that's not possible. But I am telling about the power of Christ who has set men and women free by the gospel. This is the truth. We are set free from sin's dominion. Let's go to Romans 6. Um, If you keep Romans open, you'll be be ready for much of our sermon today. Uh, The way these truths are interwoven The proclamation of Jesus that he took from Isaiah, setting captives free, setting prisoners free, sets us free, not just from the judge and the magistrate and the guilty charge, but as we walk at liberty, sin cannot recapture us as it once did. We can go in that direction, but we no longer have to. We're no longer enslaved. We're Set at liberty. Romans 6, we'll talk about this as will Romans 7 with some clarifications. Let's look at 6, beginning in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, 
since you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 6.14. It's talking about being dead to sin and alive to God. And, And there's much that's symbolized in that by Christian baptism. When you lay someone down in the water, it's like laying them down into a grave. And all of a sudden you pluck them up. It's like a resurrection and there's a newness of life. We do that when someone's a young believer, a new believer, publicly coming forward in obedience Baptism shows that spiritual transformation. I'm dead to sin. I don't have to sin as I once did. I'm free to fight. I have power to fight. Sin has no dominion over me. I hope you see that truth of Romans 6.14. Listen to this. This is a verse I think every Christian ought to memorize Underline in your Bibles. How's that? That's, that's what I did as a young person because I needed it all the time. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, although I memorized it first in the RSV and then the NIV and New American, it's in several forms. No temptation. Here's the verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has come to you that is not common to man. Okay, so good so far. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What does that tell us? It tells us that we can say no to sin. Every time you are tempted, there's a way of escape. Well, pastor, I I, I sin a lot still. It's a real struggle. You know what? Here's the truth. We don't fight temptation as we should. I, 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 I still struggle with sins as you do. And I go, oh, if only I had prayed. If only I had leaned on a brother for support and accountability. If only... God is faithful to those he has set free. We're in his kingdom. He's in charge. And every time you or you or you or me face a temptation, there is a way of escape. And we're called to to turn. We're called to fight and turn and run and flee temptation and follow Christ and do the hard things of the Christian life. It's not automatic. We must act. But we've been set free. Our relationship with sin and its power and its enticement uh, is different. I like how one of the Puritans describes temptation. He says it's like a fish hook. And you know, when you go fishing, you, you try to put enough bait so you hide the hook. So that largemouth bass, when he comes floating along, whether you've got a Carolina rig or a Texas rig, bouncing along the bottom of the weeds, he doesn't see the hook, he sees the bait. That's how you catch fish. They don't see the hook. Christians, our eyes are opened. We have the Spirit indwelling us. We have understanding of God's Word and His principles. We know to question we can identify sin and temptation much better now that we're set free. We're set free from sin's dominion. You can say 
No. And you know what? I know it is hard. If there's a particular area of your life for men, it tends to be one area for women. I know some of your areas. It's hard. But the Lord gives you other believers to give you counsel and help. And we can walk in victory more than we are. So open up to someone. Come to one of your elders. Turn to a spiritually mature person and say, hey, will you pray for me in this area? I want to say no every time. Would this please God? Yes. God has redeemed us and called us that we no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who loved us and gave himself for us. We're not our own. We've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. We're set free from sin's dominion. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let's work on that. But before I move on, let me clarify something about spiritual liberty. I told uh, one of my housemates that I was going to take a whole middle heading and just squish it down into a little point. So a whole third of the sermon is in this little. Uh, Because I can't really move on without clarifying the very concerns many of us have. Well, if we're set free, we're forgiven, you know, sin doesn't have mastery. Do we just live, uh, what did it say in, in, uh, in Romans? I didn't go on to read 6.15, but there's a change at 6.15. Paul asks, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Do we just keep on sinning? No. He says, uh, it says it a little more strongly in the Greek, magenital. No way, Jose, in Greek. We don't keep sinning just because we're set free and forgiven. You could see how someone would think that. You mean, I could, here's an analogy, I don't know if it works. I could drive on the highway and never get a speeding ticket or a traffic violation. Oh, I can do whatever I want. Well, you know what? That wouldn't be safe. You wouldn't be popular with other drivers. And it wouldn't reflect well on the God who set you free. So we need to say something about this spiritual liberty. Beginning in Romans 6, verse 15, Paul says, by no means, don't keep sinning just because you're forgiven and sin has no more mastery over you. He goes on and explains why. Verse 16 to 18, Romans 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads you to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We have been set free from sin To be a slave of Jesus. Willingly, joyfully. Oh, you bet I would be his slave any day. Slaves of righteousness. You see, we're set free not to be self-centered, ugly people. We're set free to be beautiful, upright Christians following Christ. Pleasing our Father in heaven. Yes, When we're set free, we will be tempted to sin. There'll be struggles. There'll be contrary urges, as J.I. Packer calls it. Romans 7, the next chapter, which we won't go into at length, 
Paul says, hey, I still struggle with this. I'm more aware of sin now, coveting. Oh boy, I know all about that. And he says something to the effect that a lot of times the very thing I don't want to do in his heart and mind is what he does. Every Christian knows that feeling, the weakness of the flesh. And he ends up the chapter just almost hopeless. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? My sanctification is still imperfect. I'm moving along. It's painful to not always do what's right, to have your body and your mind do something wrong. Who will deliver me? He says in verse 24. In Romans 7 ends, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's our deliverer. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Those are realities that are ongoing till we're perfected in heaven. But he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have not only some new spiritual freedom, we have some new spiritual warfare and struggles, but we have a new spiritual ally. We have many allies, not only the Lord Jesus, but his spirit that is always with us and other believers that he puts around us. Before I move on, I just wanted to quote what Paul's advice and and comments to Colossians were. He says this to this young church. He says, so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. When you become a Christian, others are praying for you. Because we have these things that have to be done. But he goes on to write, uh, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That clarifies our Christian liberty. It's not a self-centered life, but a spirit-led life. That pleases God. So uh, is there anything to enjoy with this Christian liberty? Let's get to that second heading. Let's unwrap this deliverance just a little bit more. Let's see what's inside. I, I, I get excited opening these boxes. This deliverance. You know, the, the carol um, that we sang, uh, I think it was last week, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It said in the second verse, Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit. Rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all sufficient merit. Raise us to thy glorious throne. If God is delivering us, there are things to enjoy even now. So here's my short list. Things to enjoy. Number one, Christians enjoy a relationship with the Lord. We are no longer enemies. We're no longer rebels, but we're in sync with him. In fact, we're family members. He adopts us, the Sunday school class today, on adoption. Um, Wonderful things to think about. Christians enjoy a relationship with the Lord. That's in Romans as well, Romans 5, which we didn't stop to read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's peace, there's joy in a relationship with the Lord. 
You're delivered to delight in your God. For the Christian, there's no greater gift than the Lord giving himself to us, calling us to himself. And we're free to do that. We're no longer like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes, a little nervous. We're welcome. God says, call me father. That's a relationship. Secondly, Christians enjoying their Christian liberty, they enjoy serving God and one another. We, we have a new sense of purpose in life and a task that is a delight as well as a duty. In Galatians 5.13, a verse that I think for about 10 years, every July 4th, I, I either preached on it or made us talk about it because of liberty. Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Christian liberty means you're free to serve. You're free to interact with others. You're free to engage. You're, you're free to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. These things that God would be pleased with. There's a, a hymn by Charles Wesley that I think is, is fitting at Christmas time. Uh, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. There we go. That fits Christmas for sure. Joy of heaven to earth come down. In verse 3, here's the verse about deliverance from Wesley. Come almighty to deliver, let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing. Serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. Uh, Wesley had his theology spot on in this verse. If we've been delivered, we long for Christ to come again. Suddenly return. You got that. But until then, thee we would be always blessing and serving as thy hosts above, praising. This is what we're set free to do and to be. We have to break loose of this consumer mentality that God does everything just for me to make me the end all and be all. He has redeemed us to put us at work in his vineyard, to give us fruitful labor, things that will bring us joy, things of service to him and to one another. Recently as a church, we were looking at 1 John and that epistle, and it's, it's quite a, a, a detailed thing which talks about love and commitment and fellowship and spiritual truth about our relationships. The letter, 1 John, begins with this wonderful declaration of interaction, fellowship, and joy. Here's the words. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, writes John, is with the Father and with his Son. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's joy being set free and part of Christianity, relationship with God and relationship with one another. There's joy there. So it's okay to say Christians enjoy serving God and one another. That's on my list. Number three, and here's the one that needs a little more emphasis in our day. Christians enjoy God's good gifts. Christians are free 
at liberty to enjoy God's good gifts. The things of this world that God created were originally all called good. For a season, God said to his people in the Old Testament, certain things were unclean and he just made divisions and and specified the way they should live and what they should and shouldn't do. And there are still moral guidelines for us as New Testament believers, not about kosher laws, but there are laws that say, do not be drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't prohibit wine or alcohol to the Christian. All foods are clean. We can eat bacon. It's probably my favorite food, I suppose. For Christmas, my sister, I don't know if she's watching, my sister sent me some Scottish bacon and a couple of haggis and some other things. That's for another time. Christians are free to enjoy God's good gifts. And this is a gospel issue. So hear me now. As Paul wrote, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We've been set free to enjoy the things of this world. Although there are places like Romans 13 and others that tell us we need to be careful how we walk, we don't want to make a brother stumble. We have freedom, but it's not always wise to grab all that gusto. So most Christians are circumspect if it comes to alcohol or some other thing in the world. But we're free to enjoy God's good gifts. And and I was surprised that James Packer in his book, Concise Theology, put it this way. He says, Christ sets us free from superstition that treats matter and physical pleasures as intrinsically evil. Some people think if you enjoy going out in the woods or swimming in the ocean or enjoy rich food or glass of wine, they think that's intrinsically evil. And they have their... There's all sorts of systems. We know this because Paul wrote to Timothy and warned against that superstitious mindset. It becomes almost a pharisaical impulse. I will help you spiritually by forbidding you to do certain things. No, the Christian's free. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. That makes it a gospel issue. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What would those be? Listen. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Who forbid, here comes in verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In verse 4, for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. The apostle writes to a pastor, so he's clear and helps Christians live free from those superstitions and gospel-denying doctrines. There is liberty as a Christian in the things of this world. But everything the Christian does is for the glory of his father and for the good of others. We don't always seize and demand our rights. But there is that freedom. Christians are free to enjoy God's gifts. 
And the caution, as we said from Galatians, is not to give ourselves to that and get enslaved to anything once again. I added a fourth freedom here uh, that Christians enjoy. Christians enjoy spreading the good news. The very things that we ran for or were indifferent to before our conversion now make our heart beat a little faster. When we see others worshiping, when we see others reading the Bible, doesn't it delight you? Can you be a part of getting others to turn to God and read his word? Paul put it in uh, Corinthians in a very specific way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are familiar verses, but they give rise to this point of spreading the news and a privilege. Paul really writes chapter 5 with an upbeat spirit. It's the attitude that this is very good. Listen, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul writes, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We've got good news to share. So it does lead me to ask, you don't have to answer out loud, why, why, why are we shy about speaking of Christ? Even during Christmas, Some Christians kind of choke out the word. Somebody says, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Are they going to hit me? Come on. We have been blessed. We have been empowered. Do you remember Jesus' words to the disciples? Wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high and then go out and be my witnesses. We're empowered. We're free. We're children of the king. We're ambassadors for the king. We know the good stuff that we enjoy in Christ. Why not tell others? Begin speaking more and more of Christ. If if you have to start with the bumper sticker, Jesus is the reason for this season, start with that. But don't leave it there. And he's coming back. What? Start a conversation. Engage. This is what you've been set free to do. Not just to sit around and not be guilty and wait for Christ, but to serve him, to be found busy for him at his return. Christians enjoy spreading the good news. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. If that's been you and you're feeling guilty at this moment, before you leave this room, just ask God, forgive me for that shy impulse and embolden me. You know, in the book of Acts, they often prayed, make us bold. Do you think God answered that prayer? Oh, yeah. You're a little anxious about the Christmas family gathering. There are unbelievers there. You don't bust in because you've heard a sermon, bring your Bible and start knocking people over. But you don't cower. What you have is the real deal. 
what we know, the freedom we have, is what others need and truly long for. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in Christ. Don't be shy. Pray for wisdom. Pray for boldness. Let the Spirit lead. Be wise, but don't be shy. All right, well, a couple words to share in in closing. Uh, uh, One for Christians and one for others. First, Christians, just a reminder, you can say no to sin. You can say no when that temptation rolls up. You can say, get thee behind me with the authority of the Spirit of Christ in you. Pray, reach out, just say no. It made me think back. We just, uh, the nation just buried a former first lady. Made me think back to another first lady, Nancy Reagan, uh, President Reagan's wife back in the 1980s. There was a surge of drugs and death and she started a campaign, made it a big deal for herself, was really mocked and ridiculed uh, for the the way she did it. But her campaign was very simple. Teaching children, just say no. Let's do that in the schools. Let's tell kids, if someone offers you drugs, just say no. It's, It's not the ultimate solution, but it's a great start. And I, as a As a believer of four decades, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I plead with you, his spiritual children. Just say no, start there. Don't say, uh, uh, ah doesn't cut it. Say no. Nip sin in the bud. Don't let it grow into this giant thorn bush. You ever walk through some of those bushes? You can't, you can't get those things off. Nip it in the bud. Just say no. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? No temptation has come to you, but is common to man. But our God is faithful, and he will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. Say no. The word for others... It's that, that Jesus still offers this forgiveness, this deliverance from sin. He has a pardon in his hand and he will set you free. He will open those prison doors. What are your prison doors? What is holding you back from Christ? Fear of what others may say? Fear that you're too far gone for Jesus to redeem you? You need to read the stories in the New Testament. Saul of Tarsus, enemy number one to the kingdom, converted. The demoniac whom chains could not bind. Jesus' gospel touch set him free. Jesus still offers liberty. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus said, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Find liberty in the deliverance of Christ from sin's dominion. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just marvel at the things we learn as we look at Christ. 
as we see Old Testament scriptures fulfilled in his life and in his own words and deeds, and now fulfilled in us who believe. Father, this room is filled with those who've been delivered, who now walk at liberty because of Christ. Oh, Lord, enlarge our numbers. Draw others into the flock, into the kingdom, into this joyful, happy life of serving you and loving you. Father, by your power and for your glory, do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.